0: Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we'll explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation.
1: Hello, I'm Molly McDonough, and I'm a communications and media professional with a very strong interest in finding more effective ways to meet the legal needs of underserved populations. Today, it's my great pleasure to guest host this episode of Talk Justice on the topic of creative connections, really looking at the creative ways that the courts, organizations, communities, and businesses are reaching out and collaborating to reach and educate the most vulnerable, and specifically to make legal services accessible. Our guests today come from across the country and are doing some of this creative outreach. And I'm excited for all of us to hear more about their work from working with justice buses and kiosks, holding kayak courts, and participating in social services outreach fairs. So welcome everyone. Our guests today are Dori Rappaport, Executive Director of Legal Aid Service of Northeastern Minnesota. We also have Jean Robison, who sits on the Salt Lake City Justice Court in Utah. And we have David Estep, Supervising Attorney at Legal Aid of West Virginia in Wheeling. Dory, I want to start with you. If you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in Minnesota, especially what you're doing with justice buses and kiosks. I know that justice buses have been around for a, a long time in different forms, and I'm curious how you're using them in Minnesota.
0: Oh,
2: my goodness, Molly. I can talk about legal kiosks and justice buses for a long time, so... I'm so happy to be here and to have an opportunity to speak with you about what we're doing in, in Minnesota. A little bit about me. I'm the Executive Director of Legal Aid Service of Northeastern Minnesota. We call that LASNAM. It's a lovely acronym. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it is one of a number of Minnesota legal aid organizations. We serve the... Northeastern region, which is 27,000 square miles of a lot of rural areas. Duluth, Minnesota is our most populous city, just to give you some perspective. But International Falls is in our service area. Sometimes people hear about that because it's so remote um, and so cold. But what I want to tell you about kind of dates back to the pandemic. We had to get creative. We had to come up with solutions because... Minnesota, the courts in Minnesota, and the legal aid programs in Minnesota went virtual, went totally virtual. We all established our home offices, like many people, and learned how to navigate Zoom. But what we saw right away was the communities that we're serving were not equipped to participate in court, and they certainly couldn't access us I have a memory of of a staff talking to me and saying, I have a client in Cherry, Minnesota that's trying to send me documents and they can't get enough bars to even send me photos page by page of a document. This isn't going to work. Like, how are we going to help people? And so we knew we had to spring into action. And the Minnesota Legal Services Coalition actually came together and put in a CARES Act funding request, which... Was a whole different obstacle to sort of navigate, uh, but we were lucky enough to receive the three point five million dollars to create a technological infrastructure. So that included what you talked about, Molly. That included legal kiosks. So the funding was for two hundred and fifty legal kiosks, which I'll describe if you want me to in just a second, but also four justice buses. So one for each of the main regional legal aid programs in Minnesota, which are essentially mobile legal aid offices. We had to bring technology and internet access and equipment for people to be able to meaningfully engage in court. And we had to give them an opportunity for them to apply for legal services. And so we moved very swiftly and worked with our many pre-existing relationships with other service providers who said they were willing to host legal kiosks. So that looks like domestic violence centers, that looks like homeless shelters, that looks like public libraries, law libraries, and they said, yes, we want to be a host. We want to be a bridge and an access point so that people can apply for legal services and appear for court. So that was really an opportunity for all of the legal aid programs to work together and spring into action so we could figure out how are these kiosks going to work and how are we going to ensure they're easy for people to use? And how can we make sure they're meeting people's needs so they can scan documents and print documents and have Zoom conferencing and do it in a way that's easy no matter where you're at? And obviously, also taking into consideration that people are in crisis. And so this needs to be simple for them. This needs to be accessible for them. So today in Lasnum service area, we have nearly 70 different legal kiosks. Everybody should check out LegalKiosk.org. You can see the different locations, but you can also see the different models. So there are some that are really for the purpose of getting legal information and applying for legal services, and those are, we call them Model A's. The Model B's, the real difference is that there's a host site that has a confidential space for them to be able to do video conferencing, for them to appear in a court hearing, for them to meet with their lawyer. It's been absolutely huge. And I will say I know every state is different, but Minnesota is continuing with virtual court. We have found that there has been significant efficiencies, but also we can help people. I told you how big our service area is. We can help people more people because we can appear for court many different places instead of picking and choosing where we're going to drive to represent somebody. And so we're supportive of the continued virtual model and the courts are as well. And so the tech infrastructure that we've now invested in is really, we're looking at this like it's part of our permanent infrastructure going forward. It's very exciting. And I will say a huge shout out to A2J Tech, who has been our partner in project management and developing the interface, they're helping other states replicate the legal kiosk project that started here in Minnesota. And so the buses are truly there to cover all the ground that the kiosks and legal aid offices cannot. And it's really an opportunity for us to still be in person and have outreach and help people consider, do they have a legal need They see this beautiful justice bus. They're like these big, beautiful blue justice buses, and they have a mobile legal aid office inside. And so people can come in and meet with our staff. They can access forms. We can print. We can scan. We can do whatever they need to from inside the justice bus. We partner at community outreach events. And I know we're going to hear more about some exciting outreach events that are happening across the country, too. But that is a huge opportunity for Legal Aid to help community members think, do I even have a legal need? So having that that office there in a setting like that helps capture opportunities for people to get their legal needs addressed in person when they're maybe there doing something like picking up their food distribution, or they're at another Community Connect event where they're trying
1: to just get information about other services they need. Yeah, we'll definitely get into a little bit more of that and how the partnerships are working out with all of this outreach. Um, But I wanted to move on to Jean really quick. Gene, I tracked you down because I started seeing stories out of Salt Lake City about these kayak courts, and I almost couldn't believe it. I, I thought, what is this? <laughs> What's happening? But the more I read, the more intrigued I was with the idea. And I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about the kayak courts, why you came up with this idea, and why you chose this vehicle to reach out to the population
0: you targeted. Well, our court has been doing outreach to the unsheltered community for almost 20 years. And the judge who was responsible for starting that and uh, running that was retiring. So somebody had to step up where we were going to let those programs go. But we were tied to one building, a building that provides day services to the unsheltered members of our community, because we didn't have the infrastructure as we've talked about to really do things. You know, we had to put a satellite on their roof so we could access court programs and everything else. And and put a desk and all of our supplies in a supply cabinet there. The pandemic and the fact that it forced courts to go online did provide an opportunity because with all that we've invested in software and hardware, we can now really hold court anywhere. We have a, a, a lot of partners in our outreach to the unsheltered community, and one of them has become a close friend. And it just so happened that we were recreationally kayaking on our local river. And she's a social worker with the unsheltered. And they will always call out her name anywhere you go with Kim Russo in Salt Lake City. If you're in areas where there are unsheltered people, you'll hear them call out her name. Sometimes just to say, hey, and tell them how they're doing. Sometimes to say, I have a problem. Can I come see you or can I talk to you about it? But she said, how do you want me to introduce them? And I said, it's Saturday and I'm recreating. Just tell them I'm your friend, Jean. And uh, she said, I wished I could tell them that you were Judge Robison, because I really think that we could do some work here with all of the people who shelter along the river. And so that was the impetus. And we work at monthly resource fairs that the city's heart team with housing stability puts on to members of our unsheltered community. And we were chatting with Alison Dupler, who was overseeing that. And she took the idea and ran with it and started to build the infrastructure that allowed it to happen. We've partnered with Green Bike because we have a bike path along our river. So we have some teams going by bike and Green Bike helps provide bicycles for that. We partnered with the Jordan River Commission, who brings canoes and uh, supplies us with the canoes and the kayaks we need for the teams that are going down the river. We partner with local social service agencies and nonprofits who provide case managers and outreach workers because we try to take a trauma-informed approach, and we have them approach first. We're cognizant that we're going to where people are living. We just don't barge in on a court and say, here we are. We let the trauma-informed social workers or outreach workers go first and say, hey, is there anything that we can help you with? And also the courts here, if you have cases you want to have addressed, and if they say no, everybody moves on by and doesn't engage because we're cognizant of taking a trauma-informed approach. Uh, the attorneys have been great. We have uh, volunteer defense attorneys who are volunteering their time, both the Salt Lake City Prosecutor's Office and the Salt Lake District Attorney's Office, even though we hear about staffing issues with the uh, prosecutorial offices and our offices face those problems as well. They make it a priority to staff these events, even though they're shorthanded. And so it's just been a huge collaborative model and we've been very happy. And we do get some pushback that you know, you're not holding people appropriately accountable. And what I try to tell people is, this is not about how we adjudicate their cases. That's a different issue. This is an access issue. They will be held accountable for criminal conduct, just as we will hold anybody accountable for criminal conduct. So this is not a free ride, but this is about providing access to a population that struggles to access the court for a variety of reasons.
1: Can you talk a little bit about kind of some of that logistics with the trauma-informed approach? You, I was seeing that social workers maybe are almost an advanced team by bike,
0: and then by bike and by boat. Uh, we and found by, by. Okay, that some people, it. yeah, we, we, we send a team down the bike path because they'll encounter people who are maybe camped a little higher that we won't see from the river. And we send people by boats to catch the people who are right on the river that might not be seen by bike. And the advanced teams, so to speak, are always our outreach workers from our different nonprofit agencies who serve the unsheltered community, from Mystery So and others who uh, volunteer their time. They're always first, and they talk to folks about any unmet needs. You know, sometimes there isn't court involvement, but they've gotten uh, women away from bad situations and into shelter. They found people who have wounds that absolutely need medical care and they've got them to medical care. But if the person does have open criminal cases that they want to address, then the court is there to address them. And that removes barriers. If, if we catch people at the right time when they are actively working to move towards you know, being self-sufficient, then removing warrants and adjudicating cases can remove barriers from them accepting housing vouchers, accepting employment, having benefits started or reinstated. All of those can help remove those barriers. So when they're at that point where they're like, yes, I I want to address the reasons why I, I am not self-sufficient, but I have all of these barriers in front of me and it just seems insurmountable. And we've had some people say like, this is the first time I've had hope that I could ever move past this because you've helped me recall warrants, you've helped me adjudicate cases. I know that I can put that behind me. You've, uh, I've been plugged in with services that can help me with housing and other issues. And it's the first time I've seen a path forward.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the types of cases? As I understand it, a lot of these are matters that do make it harder to secure housing or employment, but they're fairly minor infractions in many cases.
0: Well, I'm a court of limited jurisdiction. So many of the cases that are handled by my court are the cases that arise out of homelessness, camping in public, public urination, public intoxication, possession, because we do have people, of course, who struggle with substance abuse. But if you do it in your own home, you're not likely to be caught and charged with possession. Uh, If you don't have a home and you're doing it in public, you're more likely to be charged with that offense. So a lot of the cases we do are the sort of issues that arise out of homelessness and the reasons for homelessness. Trauma, unaffordable housing, substance abuse issues, domestic violence issues, mental health issues, a lot of those are driving at the crime we're seeing. So we're trying to provide access and then adjudicate the cases in an appropriate way that can help people move towards self-sufficiency. Hold them appropriately accountable, but in a way that helps remove their barriers and helps them move towards self-sufficiency. Now we do partner with the district court as well, because if I recall my warrants, it doesn't help anybody to accept a housing voucher if they also have more serious district court cases, our general jurisdiction court. So we have been lucky to have judges who, uh, now their schedules are such that they're often not available to be with us on the river, but they will allow, they'll pop into Webex hearings. We use the Webex platform and they'll handle cases and the district attorney staffs it as well. So the district attorney is able to recommend that warrants be recalled. Now, more often, those cases are not adjudicated right there at our resource fairs or right there on the river, but often warrants can be recalled. So someone can accept a housing voucher, someone can get their benefits restarted, and they can take that path towards moving towards self-sufficiency where they otherwise couldn't. So more serious cases, we're only looking at recalling warrants as a method of helping people reduce barriers less serious cases, we often adjudicate them and sentence them right there at those events, kayak court or the resource fairs we participated in monthly.
1: David, a lot of what Jean was talking about reminds me of some of the work and outreach you're trying to do in Wheeling and in your area. The thing that caught my attention in the news was the outreach fairs for largely unsheltered populations. Mm-hmm. And I would love it if you could talk a little bit about those and some of the other work you're doing.
3: The Wheeling Office had, of Legal Aid to West Virginia had a very big push over the summer to do some outreach. And it calls back to some of the things that Dory and Jean talked about in terms of access and also in terms of exposure. One of the big outreach events that we did um, was an outreach fall festival sponsored by the homeless liaison who was hired by the city of Wheeling. That festival, it, it was a lot about, you know, reaching out to the unsheltered population, letting them know of the resources that are available to them in terms of social services organizations, including Legal Aid to West Virginia. And also about, you know, the, the social service organizations getting together and realizing that, that we're on the same team, that we're all here. And that's one of the big Things that I enjoy about doing all these outreaches. Over the summer, we conducted about maybe ten outreach uh, events, and you know those events range from you know family resource fairs. There was actually a, a music concert that we went to meeting with um, classes of people who are receiving federal benefits, things of that nature. And it allows them to have exposure to us, to let them know that we are here and that we can help them with their issues. But again, like I said, it also allows us to have exposure with the social services organizations to let them know that we're on the same team and we all want the same thing. And it helps us work together better. Um, And it was actually it was a very big success. And we started to see more cases because of it. Uh, But more importantly, we started to see more social services organizations reaching out to us saying, hey, I have this person who has this issue. Can you help? Um, So making those connections with those events, it was very important. And, And not only does it help Legal Aid of West Virginia or those organizations, but it helps the clients that we all serve.
1: I imagine it works the other way, too, as Jean was mentioning with uh, being able to identify other issues that aren't related to legal needs, but are important to resolve for an individual to move forward. Are you finding that that those networks are moving in that direction as well?
3: Um, yeah. Well, and, and especially, you know, I could identify with some of the things that Dory said regarding access in, in a more rural area. West Virginia is one of the most rural states. And whenever we've gotten together, we found that there are some systemic issues, for instance, access to broadband. As a law firm, we have to have evidence to present to our judges. And some of our clients are out in very rural areas without access to, to the Internet, to cell phones that can send pictures pictures or documents like Dory was talking about. And those are are really systemic issues that I don't believe Legal Aid of West Virginia can solve, but we can come to the table, both Legal Aid of West Virginia and other organizations to try to bring the services to our clientele that we serve, to the people that need the help.
1: And Dory, I think you mentioned earlier about all of the partnerships and outreach. That just sounds like, especially with the number of kiosks and justice bus, the logistics, <laughs> that sounds monumental.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, our um, kiosk and Reach Justice, so the overall project is called the Reach Justice Project in Minnesota. So that's the kiosks and the justice buses. And we, our um, kiosk hub coordinator would say it's absolutely a full-time job trying to continually communicate with all the different host sites, ensuring that they're equipped and that they're able to troubleshoot anything that potentially comes up. I mean, it's it's been a continuous evolution to really perfect the kiosk interface. And so that takes staff time, that takes feedback from host sites, that takes feedbacks from the end users, the courts as well. And so yeah, the relationships are huge because we wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for the relationships that already existed. And then, you know, now we're seeing the strengthening of relationships because they have these access points, like these direct pipelines to legal aid. It's just been such a a tremendous service. And we're so glad that we're partnering in this way. I'd say one of the relationships that has grown in ways that I don't know we all could have predicted was with the courts. We are really on the same page when it comes to the access to justice piece. I think it was this pandemic positive that the virtual court started creating a solution for some of this rural access to justice. And the partnership with our vision for technology, leveraging technology in the kiosks and the justice buses. And like David was saying, like bringing it to the people. That's really what we've been trying to do as a state is is bring the technological access to the people and put it in places that we can't always be. And in turn, we're able to better represent people. We can staff calendars for court that we've never been able to staff fully before because we can do it virtually and the courts are willing to have coordinated calendars so that we can do it. So we can have clients appearing remotely at a kiosk and an attorney appearing at one of our five regional offices and a judge appearing somewhere else completely and Everything's being heard. I mean, it's really, it's just a new era of what it means to access justice, especially for rural communities. So the relationships are just a crucial part of that.
1: Yeah. Previously unreachable communities. Uh, And that reminds me a lot of what Jean's doing with the kayak courts. And I understand that Salt Lake City is doing a lot of other pop-up type courts to, to try to reach encampments and other populations. And I, I'm interested in hearing kind of how you've married that technology up, especially, Eugene, on the river. <laughs> I was not expecting to hear about the WebEx component of the operation. That's an interesting way, a very effective way to bring technology on the river with
0: you. Well, we can't hold court if we're not recording. So, yes, WebEx is the system the state of Utah is using for courts. And we do... Everybody who participates, the lawyers who participate, the judge, the judicial assistants bring a laptop or more often a cell phone or a uh, tablet because they're a little bit smaller and uh, they're all on the WebEx hearing. So whatever we're doing when we're uh, actually holding court with individuals, it is being recorded because we have to record court. So that's one of the barriers to holding remote court, of course, is, well, how do we take you know recording devices? And now that we can record on any cell phone, Or any laptop or any tablet that has enough memory to download WebEx, then we're able to do so. One of the reasons I'm always a little loath to talk about kayak court is I think people will shut down and say, well, that's, we don't have a homeless encampment along an urban river, so that won't work for us. But the point is, is that we all do have underserved populations. Uh, We have unsheltered populations, we have refugee populations, we have the elderly, we have LGBTQI youth, whatever. We all have underserved populations. And they don't have to be along an urban river. We now have learned how to have hold court anywhere. And so we can look at what underserved populations have. And you don't have to do it by bike or by boat. You can do it by finding a local resource center where underserved populations congregate or whatever and, and partnering, as David said, and Dory as well. Are we going to do it at libraries? Are we going to do it at uh, faith communities? Are we going to do it at service centers that provide uh, services to these underserved populations. So it doesn't have to be holding court along an urban river. Uh, people may immediately tune out because that's not really something feasible or necessary in their community. But it does allow us an opportunity to say, who are our underserved populations? And now that we can hold court anywhere, how can we reach those underserved populations?
1: And in your case, it was such an organic uh, development. You know, it was you had your proof of concept through your own experience that you could reach the population. So I think that's a good lesson for this too, is, you know, being able to see how to get over the barrier of the logistics of actually being able to find and reach a population is one step in what I expect is a very complicated (laughs) process, especially well, all three of you have really demonstrated the need to build bridges and relationships as you're, developing these outreach opportunities. I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that, Jean, about some of the partnerships. You mentioned some of them. How are you kind of building that infrastructure?
0: You know, what you really learn is that personal relationships are what make uh, make the world run. Uh, you know, as I, I I mentioned in doing this outreach work, I've become friends with one of the social workers who has been instrumental in volunteering her time to make these programs happen. And uh, she's built relationships with the defense attorneys who volunteer their time. And it just spreads, you know, housing stability and their heart team puts on our resource fairs of which the court is just one component. Kayak court is driven by the court, the resource fairs, the court is just one of the many participants. But regardless of whether it's kayak court or the resource fairs, housing stability and their heart teams do the logistics of putting the events together for us. So I just have to show up and step into a boat. I'm not the one who has to organize everything. But the partnerships are so important. Like we did not have either a resource fair or kayak court. We've shut down for the season and we didn't have a resource fair for various reasons in November. And we had that individual who they could get into housing and an employment opportunity and get benefits restarted. And so a caseworker emailed Kim, knowing how closely she works with the court. Kim emailed me. I said, well, none of their cases are with me, but I forwarded it to one of the defense attorneys and I cc'd a district attorney. I'm careful. I'm not like I'm not giving you any directive. I'm just giving you information And uh, they worked collaboratively, the district attorney and the local defense attorney who volunteers their time to get the individual's warrants recalled. Now, again, it's about access. It's not about not holding them accountable. They still have court dates. They'll still need to come to those court dates. They'll need to still address their alleged criminal conduct. But because they were able to get the warrants recalled, they were able to get them that housing voucher, they were able to get them that employment opportunity, and they were able to get some SNAP benefits restarted for them And uh, that really motivates a person to say, yes, as I mentioned before, yes, I think I have a path forward. I feel some hope and I'm now willing to get into housing. Uh, I know I still need to address those allegations of criminal conduct, but now I feel that I have a path forward. So there's so many collaborative partners. As I've said, we have Green Bike, we have the Salt Lake, the Jordan River Commission who provides us our boats. We have the the city itself, the heart team. We now have some of our own equipment like walkie talkies and stuff so we can stay in touch. But early on, the police department was very supportive in lending us some of their equipment because they're more equipped for these sorts of rugged <laughs> outings than we are. Uh, but they've been very respectful too. We've said, thank you for the loan of your equipment, but please stay away because as soon as people see the police department, they shut down on us and they've been very respectful of, of us and say, okay, let you know, let us know what you need, but yeah, we'll stay away. So. So many partners.
1: That's really interesting. And I think it's it really makes the point, too, about how there's never just one issue with legal needs and social needs of many of these folks in, in these underserved populations. So, Dory, you mentioned briefly, too, where you're putting some of these kiosks that, you know, this is really taking a more holistic approach in terms of meeting the clients where they are. And that's where they are in their current struggles, but also having that network that you have to provide some of those, at least referrals to resources. Can you talk a little bit more about some of that in terms of partnerships? Yes.
2: You know, when you're talking about that sort of holistic wraparound approach, I mean, what we're we're finding, especially with the the justice buses... And I know I mentioned this before, but there is such tremendous value in being present and being available because people can't necessarily identify just even one legal need. And even if they do identify one, then we also help them identify many. And so there's such value in just not having our services be this isolated law firm where you just go to an office and that's how you access legal assistance. And that's where you find your legal information. The fact that we are working with these different partners and physically being different places really intertwines the reality of what the people we're serving are dealing with. I mean, it's a reflection of, a legal need is a part of everything, whether people realize it or not. And so, I don't know. It feels kind of like this big metaphor for what we're actually facing, and that we really do need to just all work together to help people overcome these obstacles. And and like Jean was saying, like give them hope. This is an opportunity for them to access services in such a spectrum of ways. The more we can do to to sustain these outreach attempts and these creative solutions, really, the more hope I think there is for people when it comes to accessing justice.
1: One of the things that struck me about this, I was talking to uh, somebody about the publicity value of outreach like this. And, uh, you know, we threw around the phrase publicity stunt, and that has such a negative connotation. But bringing public attention to the need for legal services is so important. And I don't see a lot of coverage. So I think it's also the value is so high just to even have attention paid in this way. And I'm curious if you've seen any benefit from the news coverage and buzz around your events and your efforts.
3: Um, in terms of news coverage, I haven't seen any news coverage. But what I have seen is I've seen people reaching out to us and saying, Hey, we saw you at such and such event last week. My friend or my family member, they need your assistance. They need your help. They have this issue or this issue. So typically that's how it works. And, you know, we, we live in a, a new technological world, but that word of mouth, way of communicating still works for our profession, and especially in a rural area like rural West Virginia, it works a lot. Um, So, you know, if you help out Uncle Bobby, Uncle Bobby's going to tell his nephew, hey, they'll help you on this issue. And it really helps build credibility with the communities that you serve and the social service organizations that you work with. So while there hasn't been any, you know, big media coverage of our events, we still show up, we still get the Referrals and the people who apply for our services because we saw you down there last week, Mister Estep. How about you help my nephew or my son? And that's how it works still here in West Virginia for the most part. Of course, technology is still here, but some of the counties that we that we serve in our service area. Yeah, you know, you would be very hard-pressed to find technology, internet, and broadband access that could give them access to to our services. Um, so, as I said, it, it's really about the access, the access to justice, and the exposure to the fact that there are organizations out there who can help, you know, these underserved populations with their issues.
1: Well, for the record, I found out about you and the outreach through media coverage. It may not have been... <laughs>
3: Surprising. Enormous,
1: but I—that's how I found out about it. And I saw a photograph, and that's how I saw that Legal Aid West Virginia was there because there was a photograph, and your your table was on display. So
3: that's great. That's great. I, I had no idea.
1: I love that you didn't even know. I
3: had no idea. I'm I'm just doing the work of the people. I'm you know, it's right. it, I don't do it for the media coverage. I do it because these people need help, and that's what we're here for.
2: Can I just add we do like the media coverage because we feel like it gets people to us, obviously. But one of the perks of that justice bus is it's a moving billboard. Mm-hmm. Like you can see people staring at it when you drive by and they get their phones out and they start like looking it up because the website's on the bus. It's great. Like we love it. So we we actually have the bus in parades. We have this parade in Duluth every year called the Christmas City of the North parade. <laughs> it was 18 degrees and the wind coming off Lake Superior was freezing and it was at night and we did the Christmas City of the North parade with the Justice Bus and it was awesome. And I mean thousands of people come to this parade. And people were screaming like Justice Bus, we love you. And we're like, "Oh my gosh," They know who we are. They like us. Like, this is great. Um, It's nice to bring the bus to things like county fairs and county parades, too. And we do it in all areas that we can just to, again, like get the word out. It's a different type of outreach. But the bus is really our vehicle for being able to get the word out there in a marketing. Like, it's just a total marketing investment,
1: too. It's great. That's amazing. I was not anticipating parades being part of this, but that's fantastic. Parades. Pro tip tip. parades. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) I know we're, we're kind of running towards the end here, but I wanted to get in a question about some of the things you discovered along the way with this, things you might do differently or lessons learned in terms of, don't make the same mistake we did. I'm curious if you have anything to share along those lines. Someone asked me, Jean, if you've ever had any had to do any wet exits, <laughs> any
0: mishaps on the river. <laughs> My bailiff and I, because uh, we do have a bailiff in plain clothes. One goes with the bike team, one goes with the court team. We've never actually needed the bailiff services, but where judges go, bailiffs go. We are holding court, and we do have them in plain clothes. But we are the have the only distinction of being the only team to actually go in the river. So yes, we have, and uh, people grabbed our equipment and our boat for us, and we got ourselves out of the bank. And then there was a hearing ready to be heard. So I uh, walked up the bike path to where a person needed to be heard, and I finished the hearing. And my teeth were literally chattering as <laughs> I was so cold. But that's the only mishap we've had, and. Uh, we now know the circumstances that led to it and we won't repeat them. But uh, so don't go in the river is a big lesson. Don't go in the river. Don't go in the river without your dry bag. No, I mean, we learn, we learn things every time. We, we always do a kind of a beginning spiel uh, or, or a small little orientation speech before we launch kayak court every time, because every time we've done it, we've learned something. And uh, one, we want to make sure everybody understands our approach. Don't approach individuals. Let the outreach teams approach them. Because they'll take that trauma-informed approach and only approach if you're told there are criminal cases to be heard and that they want them to be heard. Then, then the attorneys can approach and then the attorneys can let the court know that there are cases ready to be heard. Then the court can approach. We're very cognizant of if, if we have this, you know, eight canoes coming down the river towards where people are in camp or 20 bikes, they'll look at it as an enforcement action. They'll look at it and and we'll lose their trust. So. Great time we learn something new, and I'm always getting emails to say, next time, could you add this to your speech? Or next time, could you add that to your speech? Because we do learn every single time we have an event, we kind of try to have a debriefing and say, okay, how could that have gone better? And we find little ways that we can tweak our approach or tweak our model and try to make it run more efficiently for the people participating or be more trauma-informed for the people we're trying to reach out to, whatever the case may be. We're always making tweaks based on what happens at each event. David, one of
1: the things that I, I wanted to ask you is whether you're feeling like you're building momentum the more you're doing this.
3: Yeah, whenever we first started this, you know, I, I would tell my staff, you know, we, we can tell we're building something. And, and one way that I'm able to get that done, and, and I have to give my shout out to my staff. My staff has passion in spades. I wouldn't be able to do this on my own and for instance you know i talked about the the concert that we did the outreach at that was a weekend event and my staff showed up ready to hand out our materials talk with people that came to up to our table and talk about legal issues with you know attendees and we were very well received and and i just have to give my shout out to my staff as a supervisor because i don't want to be the supervising attorney saying hey let's go ahead and work a weekend guys They volunteered to do that because they understand the mission and the access that it gives to the clients that we have in our rural communities. So... Having a an energized and passionate staff will get you so far, and it does help you build those connections because I can't be everywhere at once. But if we are all on the same page with the same mission, those different organizations will reach out to my housing attorney or to my domestic violence attorney because we all interact with different organizations through our work. So as long as you have a good staff, you can make these types of connections and build those connections uh, to where they bear fruit and to where you're able to get your services to the, um, the largest amount of people that you can based upon, you know, what resources you have at your disposal.
1: Dory, other than having a pandemic that spurred you along, any other thoughts on Lessons? yeah
2: no absolutely i I want to echo what what David said. Creative solutions are energizing for staff when you have a vision and there's leadership and a willingness to take a chance and do something outside of the box like people will step up host sites, partners, your staff, leadership funders like they will step up when they see these creative solutions. don't accept the status quo. Don't think, well, what are, like we can't do anything about this. What are, this is huge. What are we going to do? I'm so glad that I was able to work with, you know. shout out to our staff, but shout out to the other Minnesota legal aid programs that put their time and energy into making a $3.5 million CARES Act request. Like we didn't, we'd never done anything like that before, but we did it. And I would not recommend implementing. If you want to do kiosks in your state, I would start a little smaller than starting right with 250. It was kind of a lot, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad we did it. It was one of those chances of a lifetime and one of those opportunities. And we really had to take advantage of that opportunity for the people. And now look, like it's part of a permanent infrastructure, which is just, which is just fantastic. Uh, And I'd say also, You cannot understate the importance of excellent project management. If you're going to do creative solutions, make sure you have equipped yourself with an excellent project manager because that just makes the world go around. It's so hard for staff to be able to do their daily jobs, but then also implement something new. And so change management and project management is key.
0: And I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to our judicial assistants. One of the things that we found when we started this, especially with kayak court, is when we talked to HR, they said, you can't make this a mandatory assignment. They're going to be on bikes. They're going to be in boats. They have to volunteer. That could have sunk us in the very beginning. And it may sound like a fun day out. Oh, we get to go out and hold court outside. We have been blazingly hot. We have been freezing cold in the rain. And yeah, we've had some beautiful days as well. But we have not had a shortage. We have an excellent group of our judicial assistants who volunteer their time to be out there often in not particularly good. like part of the bottom of your job description says you'll be provided a comfortable work environment. That is not the case when uh, our judicial assistants are volunteering for some of these uh, some of these events and we we could not do it and we are so amazed. And I've talked to other courts who said, well, that would never work in our court because we wouldn't have staff who would do it. And other courts, though, I mentioned our district court volunteers, those judges have helped us out, and they've had their judicial assistance. And we've had judicial assistance from other courts as well. So I don't mean to suggest we're the only court, but And they also always drive me to be a better judge. During the early pandemic, one of the judicial assistants came to me and explained how hard expungements were during a pandemic when you had to pick up seven copies and run them all over town and you were supposed to be sheltering at home and And she came up with an idea like, can't we just email those to agencies? And then another judicial assistant called all those agencies and said, would you accept an email rather than having them drop it off in person? Because we're doing the middle of a pandemic. And they said, well, only if the email came from a government. So the judicial assistant says, well, I am willing to email those for each of the individuals so it comes from my government address. And I'm I'm isolated from those things. I I suffer from the black robe in that respect. Uh, I don't necessarily see how paperwork gets from point A to point B. And a judicial assistant who came to me and said, we are making this so hard on people during the pandemic when they're being asked to shelter at home to move forward. Can't we change the process? So they always make me so much better at what I do.
1: Well, thank you all. This was just a fantastic discussion. I feel like we could keep talking on and on about all of these outreach efforts, and I'm already learning about so many more (laughs) different innovations and uh, opportunities just through this conversation. Any closing comments that each of you have?
0: Collaboration is key. If we've learned anything, we're dealing with seemingly intractable problems. And they are not a court problem. They are not a criminal justice problem. They are not a social service problem. They are not a medical problem. They are not a problem of the faith community. Uh, They are not a problem of our volunteer organizations. They require us all to work collaboratively.
1: That's a great closing remark. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our guests again for joining us today. And most importantly, thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you again on the next episode of Talk Justice from the Legal Services Corporation.
0: Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.